I'm John. Hi, I'm Olivia. Hi, I'm Travis. And this week we've watched The Apple, and now we're going to argue about whether it's going to make us quit Star Trek. episode felt like anti-following orders propaganda it was it came up too much. kirk this is like kirk's fan fiction i'm not sure this actually happened it, it starts off being like oh no the captain laments all these people he gets killed and turns into some sort of vague colonial thing involving orange people well, doesn't it start with uh, colonialism when McCoy shows up on the planet immediately? Boom, I'm taking a claim here and I'm going to live here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> that's not a great start, is it? <laughs> They're paradise. They, they go to another country, another, another planet. And it's obviously, it's what it can be for them, how they can utilize it rather than, this is another space. I'm upset by how much racism is in this episode. Just like the fact, because there's like nice moments of like Spock. Well, the, the whole thing seems to be um, a rebuttal of the, the prime directive, right? Like it's like, yeah. no, the prime, this is stupid. I'm not going to uh, stay out of their lives. Well, we, they need to live the way we, we say that they should live. Well, it, when we get to that bit, I have a take on this. I need to I'll run past you, Okay, good. We'll get to that because I have interesting from my current period of jadedness and the, my King Solomon minds. Is, anyway, topic. Um, oh yeah, we mentioned, I, this is, I can't, you know what? I'm very tired this week. I can't be asked to segue. So Travis, what's the first time you watched Star Trek? <laughs> oh gosh. So the first time I watched Star Trek, I grew up in a Star Trek house. Oh god. So, uh, so um my my grandparents we I my mom and I lived with my grandparents and uh my we all watched it. Like it, it's just a thing that I was watching from the time I was uh super small. Uh first one I remember though is uh actually the episode that's right after this in the in in order uh and it's still my favorite it's Doomsday Machine. That is a hell of an episode to start with. It's you know, we're never going to do it on this because it's too fucking good for I Quit Star Trek. <laughs> and no one's racist in it. And it's just, it's like, it, it is probably one of the tightest 45 minutes of the original series. Oh, it's outstanding. It's but, outstanding. Yeah. So we're never going to do it on here. So that's Wait. a really good one to start with. Cut this part out. Which one's that? <laughs> it's the one, no, we're not cutting it out. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It's the one Damn with it. the planet killer. You know, the big like cone thing. And Matt Decker. And Kirk is trapped on it, and you get the da 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 um, you know, I'll say what most people say in Spock's brain. <laughs> you know, the, there's, a, there's, Spock's brain. there's a line in that that uh, has become a running joke with with me and my uh, my nerd friends from uh, way back in high school, and it's the brain and brain. What is brain? One of the most iconic lines of any television show ever. 
I I would have a low opinion of Spock's brain if it wasn't for the time that Swear Trek took the script of Spock's brain, turned swapped every word for dick, and then <laughs> gift the whole episode. <laughs> like they gift every single scene the episode, and every time somebody says Spock's brain, it's like Spock's. But Jim Spock's dick is missing. <laughs> I'm like, What's that not? dick and dick, what is dick? <laughs> We've come for the dick. It's like, it's, that's oh. the only reason I tolerate the existence of Spock's brain. Spock's brain is high art. It is a pinnacle of Trek, and I will hear nothing against it. <laughs> but you kept watching after that, presumably. I did. I, I did keep watching. Um, but, uh, you know, for me, I was born during the, the large, uh, the uh, interregnum when there was no uh, new track. Um, I saw somebody on Twitter a few weeks ago, go posted, um, asked, asked somebody to post a GIF from their uh, period of Star Trek. And I posted Tumbleweeds because <laughs> I, was, I was born in 75 and there was nothing new. Um, the animated series was done. The original series was done. And um, as far, I, I was too young to know that uh, the motion picture was coming. So, like, Star Trek was like nothing. Um, but um, I, I gave up on Star Trek, though, uh, during Voyager. Uh, I guess I got uh, two seasons in, and um, it was, it just all felt like a, a pale imitation of Next Gen and DS9 at that point. And I was just, I was done. So I gave it's up on it. Really interesting. I think we've had more people say that, that they were knocked out of a Star Trek by Voyager than Enterprise. But like even Terry, Terry quit in Voyager, wasn't it? Wow. Voyager is tough to get through. It, I, I started season one of Voyager probably a year before I started season two. So there was a gap of just, I can't do this. It's, it's so boring, honestly. I mean, it's, like- it's tedious. I think I've seen the Am- Amelia Earhart episode. 37s. That's all right. Yes. Um, like that one. The, gosh, uh, The Year of Hell and the one with The Rock and then the finale. Oh yeah, the rock. I haven't the seen rock one. I, can't I haven't wait. made it yet. I haven't made it to it yet. I mean, there's nothing. I think Year of Hell sums up Voyager. It's like you're gonna do all of this and then literally press the reset button. Like quite physically, somebody presses a reset button. Yeah, I mean that was that Year of Hell should have been the series, and it turned into an episode. We're gonna jump straight from that to um, happy jovial colonialism on a planet full of oompa loompas. <laughs> Why are they that color? I don't understand. Is that sunburn? They're red. Like they're. I've referred to them in the, my notes as orange men, which means that now whenever I see it, I'm doing an Ian Paisley voice in my head. Well, uh, for us, orange men is the name of um, a. It's a school's mascot. It's the uh, Syracuse uh, University mascot. So we start this episode with they beamed. Uh, oh God! Let me just show me a picture of the orange. Looks cute. <laughs> the apple. Okay, here we go. So they beam down to this this planet, and it seems like it seems like a nice planet. They seem to be enjoying themselves. And um, my immediate thought was, why are they using Fahrenheit in space? 
when do they do that? Like Spock says the planet has a temperature of like 70% fat, 70 degrees Fahrenheit. They, I mean, but, they're, they're why? To test out their holiday destination, you know. They no, but like Fahrenheit them. is the least efficient measurement of temperature. Because Spock was being American. What? <laughs> 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 that's like it's, it's almost as bad as you know Chekhov going the Garden of Eden was just outside Moscow. <laughs> oh. I didn't even understand why. <laughs> why? Oh that's gosh. A, yeah, it's sort of, and then you know, as you said, Travis McCoy beams down. It's like I want to build a house here, and it's kind of like he's definitely joking, but also mm, massive expat energy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like <laughs> I can imagine McCoy owning a house in Magaluf, yelling speak English at people. <laughs> Benidorm. Ugh. Oh no, McCoy's yelling speak American. Oh god, yeah. Yeah, we get the great stinger, which is the man, the first red short of the wheat is looking at a flower and he's like, There's something up with this flower, and he gets shot by the flower. He, he says captain and is immediately killed. I I feel bad for him, but if you see a flower turning towards you, like a sort of cobra-like movement, you should probably move. That's not what flowers do. Yeah, I feel like if a flower started turned towards me, my immediate thought would not be the flower is going to kill me. Would I be... would be moving. It's like yeah, exactly. That's my first. I'm not going to run away from it. I'm going to run. You are all crazy. If I see any sort of living, moving thing and it's aiming towards me, I'm out. What if it's a dog? Okay. Is the dog exactly. cute? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't a terrifying well, I don't want to disparage any breeds. Let's not anyway. let's not qualify <laughs> this by arguing about the merits of different dog breeds. <laughs> oh gosh. So the flower has killed a red shirt. And McCoy has his little line, did someone oh no, it's Kirk actually says, Did someone say paradise? And we have the beautiful dramatic TOS music that I love. So, I wish my life was just sort of... So, everybody's dead and the ship's power has been drained, but Chekhov is being horny instead. Yeah, he has this a is... girlfriend. I don't like this. <laughs> like, pick another time puzzle. I, the part about this is that struck me is Kirk has, you know, he's apprehensive now that this flower has killed someone, but he starts, like, holding them dramatically and, like, sniffing other flowers in the scene and I just I know that that's just Shatner I just know that he's just doing this dramatic acting where he's like touching the flowers I'm like someone just died be careful oh. I think a lot about somebody pointed out that um Shatner there's a good chance that Shatner might have learned part of the acting scale from Christopher Plummer because he understudied for him once who Christopher Plummer as in Von Trapp oh <laughs> I'm sorry, gosh. I'm leaving that in. Cut it out, cut it out. <laughs> I'm leaving <laughs> in Olivia Blanking on Christopher Plummer. Because I'd be ducked on, on like the last four podcasts. God damn, why is this happening the week I'm not editing? Jeez. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I really so, suffer yeah. eels. I did, yeah, that is true. That is true. I will remind people at the end of the episode that you yeah, can at the watch end of the episode, we have eels to address live the pain. on our Twitter. But so that flirting, and we do get like uh, the progress time. Like, this is not the time for a field experiment in human biology. And it's so ironic coming from Kirk, right? Yeah, like who uses landing parties to flirt with his like 
first officer. <laughs> this entire planet to me is like Hunger Games. Like, there's what's next? There's exploding rocks. Fragile, good cleavage. <laughs> um, and where, where does that leave us? We have the the rocks explode. The rocks explode. Jack is angry about the rocks exploding, and then the plant swivels towards him. <laughs> right, and then Spock takes the the spores to the chest. Yeah, for his husband. Yay, <laughs> true love. <laughs> Um, you know, they, they're like, fuck it, we're done here, we're leaving, and then they're bu- they buffer. It's a really, like, long sequence of the transporters, like, buffering like a broken YouTube video. <laughs> but they keep loading back in and loading back in and refreshing. When I was watching this, I was like, oh, is this just how long it takes in TOS for them to beam up? I remember it was longer, but this is a... It's, it's really strange, because, like, you watch the cage, and it takes them, like, a good minute to beam down. It's quite amusing. I really wish they'd stuck with that in like Discovery and had them take like a, a white hot minute of like dissolving. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I have the fly music as a note here? And I don't remember what that means. <laughs> what? What would they fly? Okay. Did they play like the oh. super fly theme? I think this is why, okay, so we get to the point where there's lightning. We're just going through the series of assaults that they suffer in ah. this trip. So someone, another red shirt dies, right? He gets burnt to a crisp. Yeah, it is just that to the <laughs> Poor guy. Um, he's gone. So another red shirt's gone. Just to, you know, put it in our minds. This is dangerous. This is really a bad place. So we're going to kill people we don't care about. Um, is this... What's happening here? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, they start running to this village and the man blows up. And, like, it's quite amusing because, like, the whole thing explodes and there's just a body. Whereas, like, there just, should, there just shouldn't be anything. I guess that would have been too graphic for 1967. Yeah, it's you kind of have, like, have a man boots. blow up. It's either the guy's there or they have, like, some very bad... Badly. It would also probably be. Doesn't look realistic. I think the landmine thing would have probably been quite traumatizing, considering that like ninety percent of the male audience watching that over the age of what for 30, 40, would have at some point had to be near a minefield. Mm. Like it's true. You know, that's not great. <laughs> now, have we have we gotten to the bit where? Uh... The, the guy is sneaking up on them? I think that's this bit, yeah. He's actually, he's been stalking them since the beginning. We forgot to mention that they're being spied on. There's just like bushes moving and like rocks shuffling. It's like, it's, yeah, it's not like you can even see him. You just sort of, they shift the tree around a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's this bit. They, so yeah, Kirk gets really like upset because he's like, I'm killing people. I, I my people, people are dying and it's my fault. And it's sort of, one of those bits where TOS like leans on some of the more powerful elements who borrow from Hornblower and aid herself fiction about captains and duty and losing people and how actually, you know, it's the thing people forget about the red shirt thing, which is part of the trope is that Kirk feels every man, realistically, it's part of the trope that Kirk feels every single individual's death deeply and holds himself personally responsible for every single one. 
mm-hmm. but people tend to forget that as opposed to like the ha 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 the man in red dies but like every single time a red shirt dies in TOS Kirk spends a hot minute going that was my fault and Spock does try to console him he says you know you were following the orders of Starfleet which is why I think there's, there's little hints of don't follow orders. It's just Kirk, you know, being reassured that, you know, being a rebel is fine. But he does say, I, it's my choice, to, you know, how I respond to things. Um, but they gave us, they gave us this other detail of Mallory was, he helped his father help him get into the academy. Yeah. They gave us something personal to this red shirt. Yeah, he, didn't he know his father or something? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's one of those little pieces, little pieces of like, Filling back end world build, world building that's nice. Just a, you know the cut the uh, off the cuff line like that is nice. Mm-hmm. But you know it's it's interesting how certain parts of that trope pass through, and the bits that make it a bit more interesting, like the fact that Kirk really doesn't take the loss of any life well. Don't. I mean, it's kind of inevitable. And it kind of plays into what we'll eventually see in uh, Trek Two with the, you know, the no-win scenario thing. Mm. Like Kirk really doesn't doesn't think that these people should ever die. Like, and I always wonder how he got that far in his career, seeing how many people died around him, the number of red shirts at least who died around him, and st- st- he still had the the ad- the attitude, you know, that uh, I don't believe in a no-win scenario. I mean, people regularly die to help you win. Does he think of them all as chess pieces? Every time I'm like, wow, Kirk is more nuanced. I remember William Shatner is a piece of shit, and then it gets harder. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Only Kirk exists. There's no Shatner. Yeah, there's no scientific proof that William Shatner is real. I, yeah, I, I am... I have I've been in a room with with William Shatner several times, and I'm, I'm so sorry. Very happy, I, I'm very happy Captain Kirk exists. There's no proof that that wasn't a fever dream, Travis. There's no proof that you <laughs> did you touch him. Can you did you empirically prove that William Shatter existed? You know, I I did not touch him, so it's you know, could have, that I you could have been high. Him. You could have imagined William Shatter. Swamp gas. This is a vivid nightmare. Yeah, the gas leak in the room. <laughs> Fun fact: Whenever William Shatter is in a room at a convention, of the gas leak. So there's no proof that he exists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So th- this is a bit with the orange man. Oh no! It's 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 the part where Kirk punches the poor guy, and we find out he's not very sinister. He's a little sweetie. He felt sobbing. He cries. Cried. Like a perfect two tears drawing down his cheeks. <laughs> his pink orange cheeks. And uh, we. I think that was now... the most natural reaction anyone has ever had to being punched in the face on Star Trek. <laughs> It was a very romantic cry. That was a cry like if your lover told you they had to move away. It wasn't really like a punch in the face cry. But um, this is how this is we get punched and we dive headfirst into the noble savage. Yes, we just straight down into it from this point onwards. Mm. And he's painted orange, and he's wearing. He's got antenna. He's got little wires. Stuck at the back of his head. Yeah, Spock like has to like it caresses him. He's like, "Do you mind?" (laughs) Things sticking out, and this is when we're introduced to Val. It's Val, right? Val, yeah. 
Which the paper mache dragon. The absolute greatest prop I've ever seen. I would love to just <laughs> see that at a convention, maybe attempt to steal it. It's I would like to see the Cub head. Scout. Tr- yeah, it was like a Cub Scout troop, you know, parade float. Yeah, I do wonder. Was it just like a parrot was like, we need a god for this one? They were like, they, there was like some school down the road, they were doing it, and at night they snuck in and stole it. <laughs> I <laughs> think like, that maybe what happened. Like Gene L. Coon and, um, and Matt Jeffries running down a street in like Hollywood carrying this massive puppy of a shade doll in the middle of the night. <laughs> like, hurry up, hurry up, someone might see us. <laughs> These third graders who were just outraged when they saw the episode. Like, Hang on a second. <laughs> um, Poor kids. It's, uh, it's like it's why are there close-up shots of it? Well actually magnificent. Well, I guess this is the thing is we're watching this in 2019 on high definition screen, an HD remaster and high definition screens, not a black and white television in like the late 1960s America or the mid 70s of the UK. So, like, I, I appreciate Val's design and that mixed with the it's music. Got little like oh. saber teeth, like fangs. You know, I watched it in black and white um, in the early 80s, and it did not look that much better. <laughs> it did not look that much better. It did look okay. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. very generous of you, but it's not that much better. <laughs> oh dear. So they go to meet the machine, and the machine decides to yeet Spock across the road. <laughs> it's just like, oh. and Spock, like Spock's been shot. This thing. He got thrown. It's not a good week for Spock. This episode. He's just not having fun. No. I don't know why Val has something against him. It seems personal. Um, so this is a bit where they go to the village and it gets even more noble savagery, doesn't it? Yeah, because I don't know why. Well, I guess it was the first. It's been five. It had been like five seconds, and Kirk was like, "Where are the children?" And they're like, "Children? These strange words that you're using." And then what's the woman's name? Yeah, she's like, Landon. what is, Rolandon is like, tries to explain love to them. And she goes, love is, and Chekhov immediately stepped up to her. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, love is, hello. <laughs> like, oh, keep it in your pants, Pavel, please. It's just, it's just the, the guy's response is, um, ah, yes, the touching, the holding. <laughs> <laughs> like, why do we have so many TOS sex education classes? Like, the same awkward energy of like primary school sex education class. I guess that's the 60s for you. Oh. I mean, this bit bugged me because it falls into the trope of Europeans not understanding sexual sex and sexual relationships that aren't Western normative and thus deciding that they are sex, that those people are sexless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is why, this is a bit, this is the first thing that troubled me, is that this is a thin of that wedge of, you know, what is this strange thing you call love? Where this tribe of primitive, peaceful people don't understand relationships because they don't have that, because con- it doesn't fit into our understanding of it. Mm-hmm. 
And it's very TOS because I don't think it was intentional. I think it just is when you when these people wrote TOS stories, they had your King Solomon's mind, your heart of darkness, your hornblower out in front of you. Because you were being told you're writing off wagon trains and stars in space, you go and read those kind of books. And those trees tropes are in those kind of books and they get reproduced. Mm-hmm. And that means that they enter the science fiction canon, and that means that we deal, we have to deal with them today. And you know, they turn up in things like they turn up in TNG and Voyager and DS9 because they become part of science fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, I just find you, it turns up in so much literature. It's like, oh, they don't have sex, ha ha ha. Whereas that just literally means we don't. Their relationships aren't as we understand them, so they don't exist. Right. I mean, in that episode, we never have an exploration of what their relationships are like all we learn is what they're not it, I, I don't know is the atten- intention that they're they don't have the knowledge or that they're asexual on, on that sort of spectrum or i don't understand what they were well val said uh, when when they did that whole the the touching the hugging which is so creepy to even say <laughs> um he also it's followed with uh that's illegal that's forbidden that's that's yes. forbidden so they have needs and the desires presumably and vol has like no or he just puts saltpeter in the food and prevents them from having any kind of uh desire because late, later when we see Chekhov and landon it's as if they haven't even have no knowledge at all of just you know any sort of affectionate sort of in that sense um i don't know if that was the intentional if that was just that that couple yeah i mean i think they're supposed to be young yeah i think they were supposed to be very young in, in relation to the rest of the uh the village so they may just not have experienced it because yeah, when, when he berates them it is more like you know you shouldn't be doing this and he's aware of what it is more than they are perhaps. yeah um so and then they have to go feed the machine and this is confusing because what are they feeding the machine food? food yeah how does that convert into why are they feeding it food should they be feeding it like rocks i don't that's understand never, that's never explained it and is- also like the people keep like giving Val food and joining the back of the line. So like, are they getting more food? Is there a pile of food next to it? Just to praise him, bask in his glory. But is this like supposed to be like some Wizard of Oz thing? Like, was there someone in there? There's like one guy <laughs> and it's like, he knows everything. The man behind <laughs> the, man behind the papier mache wall. <laughs> oh. oh yeah, it's got sort of kind of what you said. There's that point where McCoy, who's just been a bit a prick the entire episode, is just like, oh, there goes paradise. Can't have sex. Can't yeah. touch the locals. <laughs> Why am I not allowed to shank the orange man? <laughs> Dear Starfleet, I am writing to complain about my inability to shag orange people. <laughs> yeah, McCoy's literally the worst in this whole episode. Like, I have such issue with mccoy's entire attitude the whole time it's 
I mean, this is a point I wouldn't make, which is something that I was thinking about. This is very clearly the discussion they're having is, is cultural stuff, is, uh, is being culturally static okay? You know, McCoy is like, you, there is a path of progress, mm -hmm. cultural progress, and people should be allowed, should, people should be allowed, people must be allowed to follow it. And Spock's like, but they have found equilibrium. Yeah, they were a happy society. Let it go. But I think they're both wrong. Because, in a sense, because McCoy's argument is it, it's your Whig civilizing mission. Society has a path society follows. People must follow it. You must progress. You must learn new things. You must... Each generation must be better than the last one. Mm-hmm. But Spock is not much better by going, these people are static and these that's good. Because saying because society is never static. Society even society progresses in its own sense, either way. It's there's no such thing as a static cultural society. Things happen. So Spock saying they're static and that's good is not great either, because if they are static. Is because they are in an extractive relationship with Val, not because they want, to, not because it's good for them. I think the, the variable is that they're immortal. They're yes. they're functionally immortal. They don't have new generations providing new ideas, and it's not like they're keeping people down. It's more of a you know the three of us are trapped in a room for twenty thousand years, and we found a way to keep keep ourselves happy. You know, we don't need to come up with a new social paradigm every couple of decades to, you know, keep it fresh. <laughs> we we uh, find find something that works and we're good. Um, yeah, I, I think that's the what's that's that's the difference here. And is that's I think uh, both of both of them sort of missed the point of that. It was it's like it wasn't a natural like something something was manipulating them. So the question of whether there's a static society or not static society, I'm looking to the fact that you're aware that someone is holding them back or some sort of presence, unless mm -hmm. we take that as part of their experience. But um, I guess we don't know. Yeah, it's... Because I've seen some people treat this episode as being extremely colonialist, and it does have elements, but I think that question of... Because I don't think... I think that they are quite clearly artificially held back. It is not like Kirk and Spock beamed down to a tribal planet and went, no, you people, no, your God, hello, your God is not real. It's more like, hello, the extractive being you worship because he's, you worship in, because you have to, because he'll kill you otherwise, isn't a God anymore. You know, it's not killing God. It's more like killing, killing Cortez, really. Or is it, I, I mean, Val kept them alive and in more than one way, uh, provided them food, kept them uh, functionally immortal. You know, is it like they, not, not necessarily Cortez, but destroyed their refrigerator? You know, the, 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 here, here, here's what all your food is coming from. And Kirk just came in and smashed it and said, go find some more. <laughs> so you can grow fish for a tree. <laughs> exactly. 
it's there are a lot of things it shares with colonial literature and I'm just not entirely sure it's aware it shares it mm-hmm. I think I think it was just so all-encompassing when this was written that you just wouldn't have been aware you were adopting this kind of thing you know it's like um was Voyager entirely aware that when it were the writers of the cave were entirely aware they were writing stuff about black gangs? Probably, but sometimes maybe not. Like oh we talk, I find it hard to believe that they didn't. I know. find it hard to maybe in the 90s, I think it would be hard to believe in the 90s that you could well, not do that. Well, well, actually, we did find actually a, a reference to that that, that oh. they were, um. Well, they were aware of, it, of the gang. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say I shouldn't be surprised by ignorance, but, um, yeah. But, or even, like, um, you know, if, um, well, I don't know, this is a bit of a shameless plug. If one was to listen to the collaborative pro- podcast we did on Code of Honor with the Black Alert podcast, Yay. We, dis- we discussed on there how the writers of Code of Honor weren't entirely aware they were doing anything racist until... Basically, they filmed it and produced it and put it out, and then everyone went, what the fuck did we just do? One of the greatest disgraces. And I think that's the thing, that's one of the problems with Star Trek that only, I think, gets solved with the mid-level TNG and DS9, which is that Roddenberry, Gene's vision (laughs) is incredibly steeped in a very colonial, in a hyper-colonial mentality. Because that's how he grew up, that's what he grew up in. That's what they all grew up in. Mm. Yeah, they grew up in the world that, they grew up, what, Gene was born in the 20s, 10 years apart from Teddy Roosevelt. They all grew up where you could read books and watch films about African safaris, or you could go see Paul Robeson in King Solomon's Mines and stuff. So, I just, it's, you're not aware of it. It was just mm. became, it, it is part of the fabric of Star Trek. I mean, even, it's part of the fabric of Star Trek, even as far as the last season of Discovery, even. Like the attitude, the way the Federation is talked about in this season three of Discovery has some colonial tendencies. It's a, it's a collapsed empire. Mm-hmm. In, Don't talk about empires. So the week we've had in this country, <laughs> well, post-Brexit identity crisis. Just get some flag Starfleet. Did you try that? Um. Yeah. <laughs> Every Starfleet animal needs another flag in their background. How many stars? Ooh, yeah. It's like that, oh. that would be present. That animal only had four stars. You needed five. <laughs> but we haven't poor Scotty. On the Enterprise. Oh yeah, Scotty's oh, not having a good time. Everything's falling apart. He's trying his hardest. Every engineer just has to work with basically nothing, and Kirk, like the captain, shouting at them. And poor, poor guy gets threatened to to be fired. Says, you know, if you can't do it, <laughs> you're fired. But he'll also be dead. It so it's not really a it's not really an actual threat. It's more of a come on, Scotty. We need positive reinforcement, Kirk. I feel like like you're fired is a terrible metaphor to use when they're they're facing certain incineration <laughs> as the ship collapses. You're fired. Hey, too soon. 
Is Uhura then, in this episode? No, Uhura is not in this episode. Sulu is not in this episode either. Because Uhura is not in a Doomsday Machine either. I want since like two weeks in a row she's not in. in an, no, they've got uh, a blonde Mo- woman. What's her um, name? I, she has a name. They wrote is she Palamas, Lieutenant Palamas. Okay, well she's it, she's the communications officer in that episode, and uh, there's just no more. It's, it's very weird. I know. I think this was what year is this? Sixty-seven. Sixty-seven. I think I know. I think this was around the time that I know that um, Takai was in episodes of like. Yeah, he was in the Green Berets. Green Berets. Yeah, he was filming the Green Berets. He was out for a while. I don't know what Nicole. I think she took some day when she was in a play. I think at some point. Was that when she was like thinking about quitting? Yes, I think this is around this time. Okay. That's where the Martin Luther King story comes in. Yeah. Good old, yeah, classic. So, the, thought that, the thought of him as a nerd is amazing to me. It's also kind of on <laughs> brand, though, Martin Luther King. Because it's kind of like, I mean, I could literally sort of see him sitting down one night and going to TV town and being like, what the hell can I show my children? Okay, this looks good. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, I, he is the sort of person I can't imagine literally sitting down with a TV guy and crossing things off. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but oh god, I forgot about the bit where they they have the bit where no one wants to talk about sex in the hut. Oh, yes. see again with this strange. Like Landon's just like, but well, what about you know? And they all sort of look at each other and they're like, Spock, you're the science officer, you explain. And Why do they bully Spock? Leave Spock making alone. Spock explain straight sex is probably the. You know, we'll add it to the list of reasons, list of list of scenes that prove that Spock is gay. <laughs> Making him explain straight sex. Look on Kirk's face, like go. On. go it on. felt a little sexual harassy though, when with uh, with Landon and how all of these men are trying to get her to describe, you know, what 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 sex is, and then they eventually they're like, oh yeah, well we can't do it. You know, maybe Spock can do it. And yeah. she's still kind of awkward. It's like, oh, this is not a cool scene. We've been having problems like with that in uh, the states with um, governors who uh, are having co- inappropriate conversations like that with their staff. And watching it this week, it kind of was uh, <laughs> hit the Stop nail on the head. I mean, of course, because of course, but why? It should be coming up even less in that in that scenario. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think, I mean, that's true. I thought about that, but it's also a sense in which she started a conversation she did not intend to have with superior officers and went, oh, fuck. Yeah, like, this it is came out, off the rails. <laughs> it came out about it, like, I should shut up, and they were like, they definitely put, they definitely should not have pushed her when she quite clearly didn't want to talk about it. Exactly. It's like, well, fine. She doesn't want to talk about it. Let's move on. But TOS always has the women thinking about love or like childbirth <laughs> whenever true. they're guesting that's their like angle that's their does angle. any episode of T- TOS pass the version dog test no I don't think I can. Uh, no I literally cannot think of a situation I don't think there are enough women on TOS for it to pass the version there test. is a scene there is a scene somewhat I just saw it, it brought up this week actually um, it's when Uhura's brain is erased by Nomad and, and Chapel is re is teaching her 
reteaching her everything. And they're having a conversation in sick bay about Uhura, not about Kirk or anybody else. It's just about the women uh, can teach, but they can't, they can't do it. Like the women can teach the women. (laughs) And I think it's the only conversation two women have on Star Trek ever. I don't know. That's just such a baffling plot point that in the changeling, Scotty died and Uhura lost her memory. Yeah. It just never gets brought up again. That Scotty was dead for a bit, like functionally dead. Well, that's the thing. The Changeling is another episode that should be a uh, season-long arc as opposed to one episode and done. There's <laughs> a book out coming in a couple of weeks by Chris L. Bennett about the repercussions of the fact that Ahura has lost her memories from before that point. Really? Yeah. It's like it's set between TOS, at, between Motion Picture and Ralph of Khan. I can't remember what it's called. Well, I'll be buying it. It's a good book. I mean, all the Christopher L. Bennett um, TOS books are very good. I do recommend. Um, so they are very heterosexual. Well, I'm out. Yeah, I said that for a living. <laughs> like, the, my favorite one, Face of the Unknown, has does a lot of compets on the spot, which um, I don't like. It's okay. It's just a phase. Uh. <laughs> so where uh, so yeah then we have to regrettably learn that spock fucks but not spock checker we know spock fucks checker was in shouting at it at us for the entire episode he's like you guys seeing this you seeing my chemistry before? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's better than like most of tears because at least she has some chemistry with him like half the time when they do that the other person looks like they'd rather be in another room, but at least Landon's like interest, like looks like interested in Chekhov. Right. She even has a nickname for him. She calls him Pav. Pav. Oh. The yeah. best you can think of. Pav. I guess it's better than like Checky. <laughs> I, I, I didn't find them very endearing, but. She's very oh her eyeliner was on point. Just that's oh. true. That's true. Um, have we? Where's the part part where um, it's Kirk bullying Scotty for the second time? He says, "If you can't, you know, work within engineering reason, use your imagination." How is that helpful, sir? It's just not helpful. <laughs> I love how gonna... Scott everything he he says, Scotty's like, "I've done it." I've already done it. <laughs> Stop telling me what to do. I've already done it. Leave me the alone. The Kirk Scotty relationship is maximum officer NCO energy. Is that the officer being like, have you tried this? And the NCO or did that 10 minutes ago being like, yes, sir. I'll get right on it. Every NCO in Star Trek just suffers. It's all they I know. Have a head, I, it's not confirmed, but I have a definite head. I think it's in the TOS Writers Bible, actually, that Scotty came up from the ranks. Like he joined as an enlisted man and yes. came through. And that's why he's so permanently tired of Kirk whenever he's like, do this properly. Scotty's just like, I'm not paid enough for this. I'm absolutely not paid enough for this. It would explain the massive age difference. Yeah, because um, if I remember correctly, Scotty's born in like 2220, which makes him like 13 years older yeah. than Kirk and Spock. He's older than McCoy even, I think. Is it- I think he's the oldest member of the senior staff. Wow. So Spock, Kirk was 35 in, the, in where no man has gone before. Okay. So he's 40. Uh, he's born in 2230. So, okay. well, no, Spock is born in 2230. 
Kirk was born in 2233. Is that what the age difference was between Nimoy and Jenner? No, the age difference between them was only a couple of months. It's that the age difference says that is because of um, the Star Trek 09 film, which has Spock be born in 2230, and then you have the Kelvin scene in 2233. Okay. It's all because of the 2009 film. I'm always confused by everything in the 2009 film. Yeah, Beyond is just the better. Beyond is the best of the three, I think. Beyond is wonderful. Beyond is, I, I love Beyond because we've, they've now gotten to the point where they, they've settled into like a, uh, a rhythm. We know how kind of, they kind of understand how their Star Trek universe works. But in the first two, I have no idea. For the second one, no one knows what Into Darkness was. <laughs> This is... I watched that so early in my Trek journey. And it... That was the first piece of Trek content I consumed. Oh, no. The really? Party. Well, no, the first piece of Trek content I ever consumed was my dad playing the Bilbo Bag and Spock song in the car. Iconic. <laughs> Iconic. Of course you're in after yeah, that. And um, then I think, but and as a subtext for that, my parents are secret Trekkies. Like they had the TOS theme played at their wedding. <gasps> I can't piano. believe that this revelation only came out later. They didn't tell me this, but it happened apparently. And it went on for very long. They had the musician had a real medley because they took too long signing the register on because they had a glass of something with a priest and they got all the chatting. Wow. Yeah. And like my dad, I mean, the, the only thing reason I know this is my dad once commented to me that um, when I was a kid, I thought Chekhov was Welsh. <laughs> and I was like, you want Star Trek? He was like, oh yeah, that's, you know, that's how I ended up watching Star Trek 2, 3, and 4 with my dad, <laughs> just in a row. <laughs> to learn that Chekhov is not Welsh for them to establish that for you? No, I think what specifically happened was I put Raph of Card on and then he sat down next to me and then he disappeared and came back with two glasses of whiskey. <laughs> how old were you at this point? I need to make a joke. <laughs> I, was, I think I was actually fifteen. <laughs> so that's when star, so that's when when your Star Trek journey really began was when you were fifteen. Um. Oh. Mm. Well, no, there was a weird bit when I was like between like when I was thirteen and fifteen, where only season four to seven of TNG were on Netflix. Uh huh. Just season four to seven, which and then it's like yeah, and then so I consumed that constantly, and then it all came off. And I pirated TOS. Mm-hmm. And then it all went back on in like 20, just before the 50th anniversary. It all went to Netflix again. Uh, and wow. Consumed all of Netflix, all of that in one, just did all of it in about four years of going through it. And Olivia, Into Darkness was yours. No, t- the TOS films were my, like, the TOS series were my first one. Oh, okay. So I was okay, literally on Netflix. I mean, the same account I have now is my entire Trek journey. Is it really? So I can go back and see where I stopped in, like, 2018. Oh, yeah, my God, that's It's amazing. only been a few years. Exposed. I love this. Uh, I, I can't tell you how much I love listening to all of everybody's, like, different starting point. Like, it's so cool to me. It is. It really is. I had it, no business clicking on Star Trek. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I can't. There's no reason. There's something. It's, it's, but it is. You are right, Travis. It is amazing because, like, you go on Twitter and, like, you, you see people you interact with all day about Star Trek being like, "Oh, we're coming up to the first anniversary of the first day of Star Trek," and it's like, 
you've only been watching Star Trek for a year. <laughs> right. Like I'm looking looking at my my shelf. I have like a shelf of Star Trek on my on my desk. I've got books up there that are like 35 years old on that shelf. Because for me, like I said, I started when I was young, like watching it. But like my whole thing, like started when I was like a 10 year old. So just listening to like all you guys, like like um, you know uh, Shaniqua on my show, uh, on our show. Um, you know, she only started a few years ago and all of this is like been, you know, building up for her. And I just love everybody's like different starting points and how we're all in the same place. Well, yeah, what is great about it is watching people, Shanika and us and interacting with people, you know, people like you and Penny who have been doing them, Terry even have been doing this for years and years and how it's the sort of thing where there are things we've realized that you have and the things you know you've realized that we have and just that sort of bringing together yeah. different cultural exchange cultural exchange, <laughs> exchange. yeah, yeah that's know. that's why I, i'm i i hate the the whole you know old nerd thing where you know i've been doing this for 40 years and i'm obviously a better nerd than you you know that whole thing like i love like everybody's new pers- the perspectives that they bring to the series because that means that now it's it's even fresher for me like i'm not i'm i'm not as uh, as bored as I could be, you know, with the stuff that you know I've I've read a bunch of times, but I never looked at it this way, you know. And I think it kind of goes back to the episode, the way you were talking about this episode, and how you know um, stagnant cultures do need to change because that's what happens in certain tiers of Star Trek fandom, where you know you're so married to canon that you won't look at the show from a different perspective and when you start to bring in new ideas the whole show is is fresher so is val gene's vision another phase of alex cups <laughs> no, <laughs> i'm sorry i had to do it i had to, that was I, does, that really make <laughs> does that make kirk alex kurtzman fuck um Yes, you know what? This piss some people off. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, it's actually canon that I am Alex Kurtzman, and I will not elaborate. Um, where are we in the episode? Where are we? Um... <laughs> oh no, they, they get handed down instructions <laughs> to kill. They like practice on a melon or something. It's like, what's killing? It's like, oh, it's a thing to do, like feeding Val. It's just a casual thing. Um, and then he smashes a melon, and they're like, that's what we're going to do to their heads. Um, which is nice, you know. Um, they're going to become murderers, which Spock later says brings them closer to humanity. Yeah, this is such a bizarre sequence of events. So, like, Spock goes out for a walk, it's like, the orange men are gone. So, they run to Val, and then Spock gets struck by lightning and is like physically smoking, like the smoke hissing <laughs> off him as Kirk carries him back to the village. And then, like, the last red shag gets bonked on the head and dies. Oh, we get a great fight. Now we're so, out know, of red shirts. Yeah. Kirk does a nice table roll. Landon gets a very nice high kick off at someone. It's extremely easy because it's quite clear. One of those things I do like is that they, they don't have them fight very well. Like, at the moment that they're all knocked to the ground, they're just kind of like, oh, we give up now. It, it really felt a bit like a one-punch situation for most of them. Which is good. It's <laughs> nice. It makes sense. I mean, these guys have never... Like, we, we saw what happened to... to, to Hakuna uh, earlier, uh, what's his name? Akuda earlier, 
when he got punched and like broke out into tears. I just imagine like the, the entire team. What are they doing? Make them <laughs> stop. Really They're go. fighting back. Why? <laughs> At least they didn't shoot them with a phaser. That would have been really bad. <gasps> How traumatic. Oh no. And then like put them in that hut. We'll deal with them later. Which. Um, They're that unconscious that it's going to not be a problem. I guess. So, and then we find out that Scotty can't save the Enterprise, so he's fired. And we get another moment of Kirk being like, I've killed 400 people. Fuck. <laughs> hmm. I mean, I'd have preferred the episode to have focused on that and the fact that Kirk can't, you know, he just really doesn't like losing people. And that's, he views every death as a personal failure because that's a really interesting part of his character. That would require a very in-depth look into his mental health that would just have been way beyond, I think, their time. Yeah. Yeah, this is the bit where they're like, Val needs to be fed. And Kurt's like, what if instead of feeding him, we kill him? And I think, you know... Why didn't they try that earlier? <laughs> just... Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I think, were they trying to avoid him? I, I guess they were trying to get away without causing trouble but once he wasn't going to let them go. It's just, you know, well, yeah. let's blow this fucker up. It's, it's, it's time. time to kill God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like we all know Gene hated religion. Mm. And it's right. just sort of feed into Gene being like, I am literally going to order a warship to kill God. I just, I, again, I have to say it again, I want to be his therapist. I will go back in time and disguise myself as his therapist i want to but, know fine, but star trek make... was his therapy and yeah. if with if you were his therapist what would what would we have that's true no i would just be passively observing as long as you make sure we get the film where captain kirk fights jesus <laughs> that's just the best i would tell him to grow point. harder Forever, the entire like the best unnamed Star Trek plot is oh yeah, and then this film ends with Kirk fighting Jesus. It's like wait, was that Star Trek Five? That would no, that's it was one of the planned films since that became the motion picture. There was going to be Kirk was going to fight Jesus. All right, this was going yeah. to be literal. He was literally going to fight Jesus. Like there's going to be a fist fight. Jeez. With Jesus. <laughs> I, I got 20 I, bucks on Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> Just how that. would the Jesus character respond? Like, he's a pacifist, right? <laughs> well, Just, I think well, considering that, like, kicking over the tables in the market energy, like, he's going to be on that. Oh, God. Uh, so, yeah, so they, the Enterprise phase of kill God. You know, that's something that, that, that stood out to me when I did my TOS rewatch was the number of times that Kirk killed either a god, well, uh, a supercomputers that, that were disguised as gods. And he did it so much that I'm convinced that he wrote a textbook after the five-year mission that is now taught in Starfleet Academy. On how gods. to do, how to kill gods by James T. Kirk, he got good at it. Yeah, I feel like one of the quotes. I feel like like one of the quotes that's like James T. Kirk is it's hard to believe in God when you killed so many. <laughs> like, I, just want, I just want that on a shirt with like Kirk's face and then just that underneath. 
<laughs> he's like I'm making that. Is this not like ridiculous how many months. gods he's killed? <laughs> like it's like so there's like Landry. a bow. There's like yeah. one in the center of the universe. Landry. Landry. Um, the one that was in that controlled the planet in um for the world of hollow and I've touched yes, the sky. Three technically taking Spock's brain out was killing a god. Yeah, Apollo. Apollo five straight, yeah. straight up shot Apollo. Um, technically, I suppose Khan, but that's less of a god than a megalomaniac. Uh, yeah, um, nomad. Six. Um, he killed. He was a god, and he he stopped himself being a god. True. Paradise syndrome. So that's seven by technicality. Yeah. So Kirk's. He's got to have killed more. His KD ratio coming to gods is pretty good. It's like seven to one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's he's got more gods under his belt than like Thor. He knows what he's done. You think this is why Shatner has delusions of grandeur? Because he killed God so many times. (laughs) He was in this position so many times. I do think it's interesting how many times God turns out to be a computer, though. I think that's just everything you need to know about what Roderick thinks of religion, that God just turns out to be a computer every single time. Just a man-made device? Yeah. A man-made device. And considering how much his derision of computers is voiced through his characters, like... The Doomsday Machine is one ma- Doomsday Machine and Taste of Armageddon are long, lengthy machines are stupid. Mm-hmm. It's a double whammy of Gene Roderick hates God. Which is really funny because the in, the year after Star Trek was cancelled, then uh, 2001 came out. <laughs> and we were introduced to Hal. Who is not a God, but is, is like, it's, it's both, I feel like 2001 could have been a Gene Roddenberry product. Yeah, I mean, what uh, what they do to him at the end is is very much a Kirk, very much a, a, a Kirk just pulling his plugs as he sings himself to death. But then even the bit where what's his name? Spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen yourself on a space obviously. Though then again, the, the spectacle is not is why you watch that, not the plot. No, the you turn it to God at the end because that's what you do. I feel like Roddenberry would do that. I feel like Roddenberry yeah. would have Kirk. Wasn't the motion picture uh, well, influenced by 2001? Well, that's what happens at the end of the motion picture, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Decker, Decker and Ilya merge with the computer and become God. That's the only time Kirk creates God. So he's killed seven and made one. Oh, God. Jeez. <laughs> 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 Olivia, I think you're spot on that this is what it's, this is the explanation for Shatner's ego. <laughs> yeah, but it's like... Val, when we, we got to Val's died. Val died. But, oh. oh, yeah, this is a bit where Kirk goes, um, freedom, love, agriculture. <laughs> and they You're all laugh cheerily about it. It's like... His closing speech. But also... But, oh, no, and then it, it continues with this weird sex scene where it's like, you know, what about, like, what is this about, you know? Keep on the way you're going and you'll find out. Stop, you're making them sound like horny teens. Like they're just exploring. I guess they are exploring, but what's but you don't want to hear it from Kirk. I mean, yeah. Yeah. that's like hearing from your dad. It's like him as a yeah. Oh no. What's also weird is that it's that speech is rather is extremely out of 
tone with the rest of what Kirk's been like for this episode. Like, for the whole episode, he's been like, I just want to get out of here. And now he's like, civilizing mission time. It's because he's, he's fine, you know, things are on track. The Enterprise is good. He's back in the zone. He's on but it would have been like... He killed a god. Been... He's, uh, he's back on his game. <laughs> surely it would have made more sense if he was like, I'm sorry, I had to do this. Because uh, he spent the whole thing being like, we just want to leave. And now he's like that when he's on a sequined bed later that night. (laughs) (laughs) Two AM thoughts. Yeah. Shit, I killed another god. (laughs) Does he do it? Yeah, that's a question. I don't think he ever does it on purpose as well. God killing? Yeah, I think it just sort of is something that happens and he's like later, he's like, oh god damn it. Oh, I don't know. I feel like Kirk's like a Texan when it comes to killing God. He did, you know, he's got that whole he needed killing um, perspective, and he's fine with it. Like he just loves killing gods and computers, man. (laughs) (laughs) Keep Spock in his place. Yeah, the horrible ending. Yeah, the racist. racist. (gasps) Super racist. Why? Uh, It's basically retaliation because Spock suggested that you know this was this is like the story of Genesis we've driven them out of paradise and Kirk that makes Kirk the Satan figure and he's like well who here would look like Satan the most which he doesn't he doesn't but also it doesn't matter it's a bad thing to say to someone I mean I watched the Galileo 7 yesterday two days ago right and that's an episode that's like well known for it being being bigot- being about bigotry. I still think that last minute of um, this episode was worse than the entirety of Galileo 7. It's like beyond a blunder. Like, it's not just... It's, it's not like they're under stress or pressure or they think they're going to die. Yeah, they, they just decided to be mean. And yet Kirk know? wonders why, why Spock went to dig Colonel. <laughs> <laughs> he wonders why he left. <laughs> so... Trivia. Is there cursed trivia? How cursed? Um, no, actually. Well, actually, a, most of the trivia is pretty simple stuff. Like, this is the this is the episode where the red trope phenomenon sort of comes to the fore. Every red jetted man dies horribly. Um, Celeste Yarnell, who played Landon, wore Gracely Whitley's costume left over from season one. It was recut and fitted to suit her. Roaring that Whitney might return and need the costume, she she was she asked um, Bill Sice what he would do. He assured her that she will never return. Oh. That never wow. was italicized. <laughs> oh dear. Wow. The original script of this episode called for an emergency source of separation. You know, like the thing they do for 10 minutes in Encounter at Farpoint, which... Um, yes. You know, I like that sequence, but it's also like unnecessary. It would be really weird to see them do it in TOS. It's so indulgent in TNG. It's like we've got the we've got the technology now. Let's do it. Well, I think a lot of it in TNG also has to do with the fact that Encounter at Farpoint was padded out from an hour-long script. Mm. Which you know, if you cut it down to an hour, it'd be a really nice episode, but it's two hours long. Right. But yeah, so they were going to do that here originally, but you know they didn't. Which is probably a good thing because it looked really shit in nineteen sixty-seven. <laughs> <laughs> Very lost in space. 
I think, I mean, considering there was actually a quote in the design brief for the Enterprise going, no flying saucers. I think that that's hilarious to me that 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 was one of the design rules and they had a flying saucer sitting right on the ship. I think I've got a book on it here and it's really interesting how much Gene was like, I swear to God, if you design me a flying fucking saucer, Matt, I will end you. It's like they took the things that he didn't want, a flying saucers and rockets, and merged them. And it works. So, um... Are we going to quit? Um, I, what's, what's keeping me from quitting? What, Nothing. I'm trying. I'm trying to think of what is good. The good parts were when Spock fought back against McCoy with racism. So he killed a god. That was fun. Yeah. That's kind of it. The rest is horrible. I think I might have waved, but the last minute was like, no, I'm quitting. They just were racist. <laughs> they left us with racism. Yeah. I think I'm quitting. It's a quit point. It is a quit. quit. For me, Travis? I'm out. I'm out. That's three for three. Do but, we have to trip nip it? No, we do not have to trip nip it. We do not. You know Travis, what? would you do like you to count? Would you like talk? to rate the trip nip this episode in trip nip curseness? This is a dictatorship. Uh, I would love for you for you to do it because I've not experienced the trip nips. Oh well, you're lucky. You're lucky. <laughs> so the, the skip trip scale is measuring the, the curses of an episode, with zero being completely uncursed and ten trip nips being painful, so painful that we cannot imagine it. Oh my gosh, this is based on the the extra nipples that the trip grew when he was pregnant. That's correct. Yes, you see why. Oh. <laughs> why I hated him. You see. yes please let's rate it so i think i'm going to give this a seven out of ten remember of course that zero is uncursed and ten is maximum cursed um i i i would push it up one i would push it up one i think uh this is like er star trek like the most condensed version of everything wrong with Star Trek in a single episode. So I'm going to go to, I'm going to give it an eight, eight and a half trip nips. Olivia? No. At a certain point of me getting bullied for the eels, it became a sort of Stockholm syndrome thing for me where I was even promoting the eels and making (laughs) eel jokes. And that's what I feel like now in this moment with the trip nips. So I will give it trip nips. And I'm gonna be I'm gonna give it eight as well. Maybe eight point five. Just, just for that ending. Just for that ending and there's so, zero point five for that terrible ending. I guess that rounds up to about eight. So eight trip nips. There we have it, folks. My soul is dead. Eight out of ten triplets of curseness, and uh, yeah, not a great episode in any circumstance. Just baffling orange men and settler colonialism and god killing. The only highlight, the only highlight. So, thank you for joining us, Travis. It's been a wild ride. And if people anything to plug, where can people find you? Um, you can find me in a couple of places, uh, working on, um, 
uh, the first comics that we've done on at Variance Media. Uh, we've got an anthology coming out about uh, law enforcement and uh, the problems that have been uh, rife in the United States about that. Um, that should be out in the next couple of months. And then you can follow us over on uh, the Black Alert podcast. Um, where myself and six other folks uh, discuss, uh, you know, Star Trek from a uh, Black American perspective. Um, and then, if you like Philip Pullman, um, you should check out the his um, Dark Materials podcast that uh, I, I did called um, the Amber Spycast. There's a lot of fun. I, I I loved his Dark Materials because it is baby's first god killing. Yep. <laughs> it's like Philip Paul woke up one day when I'm going to show children how to kill God. <laughs> it's good for him. Wonderful so series. Wonderful one. And um, if you would like to watch Olivia do the deed, <laughs> do the, the eel based deed <laughs> of consuming eels suspended in beach based gelatin, oh. you can do so at Quit Star Trek Pod. We all know how long you have waited and it has happened. So I, I honestly think it's so long that many people don't know why the eels are being consumed. It's better that way. They're aware of the... They're yeah. aware the eels are consumed. I have seen tweets... It doesn't even matter anymore. In the last few days where somebody... Have, people who are barely of our sphere have been like, why is everybody talking about eels? <laughs> I've seen eel defense. I've seen confused eel tweets. I've seen I'm muting eels. It's just... Uh... <laughs> We can't, but it's happened now. It's in the east and the eels have been consumed and we move on to the next frontier, our next challenge, <laughs> which I think is me eating a large pile of pickled food from the Scottish takeaway. You, you eating pickled pig's feet. <gasps> I'd do that, I'd do that. Oh, no, why does he like it? No, we have to find something where he has a worse reaction. Um, pickled, <laughs> feet, pig, ugh, pickled pig's feet are the worst. I'd do that. Um, do chicken foot soup. I've eaten chicken feet soup. It's bad. Um, I've eaten it. Um, Scrapple. I have eaten Scrapple. What's you that? have eaten Scrapple? Yeah. What's that? Oh, wow. Scrapple is like all of the leftover bits from pork rendered oh. in a large pot with um, some kind of grain. Usually put 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 into it. Yeah. It's, I, mean, it's, I guess it's kind of like a, the in, the middle of a haggis, kind of. I guess. Yeah. Chitlins. Yeah, I've eaten chitlins. No, yeah. chit chitlins are. Um, just the intestine. It's like tripe. Oh. Yeah, I've, I've done both things. Gosh, she's a monster. Uh, anyway. <laughs> there's probably some... I know there is food I don't like, but I can't remember it. I've erased it from my memory. But we'll find it, and I will have to suffer on another live <laughs> Twitch stream. Yeah. But until then, that's us for this week. Thank you again, Travis, for coming on for this um, journey through God-killing. Thank you so much for having me. And I've been John. I've been Olivia. And I've been Travis. And we'll see you all next time.